Philippians chapter 2, we're looking at for the next several weeks this idea of the habits of a loving heart. And habits, of course, are things that we do, eventually we do, kind of more, not necessarily automatically, but they become a part of who we are. They become part of our, our identity, really, in a way. And sometimes we have habits we don't even know we have, but other people know we have them. Husbands, your wives know whether or not you had the habit of putting the toilet seat up or down, right? Now, you don't want to admit it, but that's true. My wife would know which mine was. I don't want to talk about it. What I think is we all need to buy those fancy Japanese and Korean toilets that, that, that do automatically when you come and go. You know, you just leave. And that'd just be awesome and we're all done. I stayed at a hotel in Seoul on, on my trip to Cambodia this year when, they, when I had my extended layover and the airline put me up. And it had one of those electric Korean toilets. Okay, and, and seriously, the lid warms itself. Well, I won't get into all the gory details, but the lid warms itself. It raises itself. It, I don't know how it knows how to do all these things. It lowers itself. And, and to entice men to cooperate with this electronic toilet, they made it a gadget, which, you know, we all love gadgets. There was a remote that puts your TV remote to shame. You had DirecTV or Hopper, you got nothing on this toilet remote, okay? And I, I should have put a picture up there of the remote control, except that my daughter says that the pictures are gross, so I didn't do it. But, but it's really cool. But part of the reason that, that we, we sometimes like electronics like they, to, that to take care of things like putting the lid back down and all that kind of stuff is, and if you're an unmarried man and you don't know what I'm talking about, just trust me, if you ever live where you share a bathroom with women, you need to put the lid back down. That's as far as we're going. But we like, we kind of like these things that do that automatically because it, we have bad habits, right? And sometimes we don't, we don't remember and we don't have it all together there like we ought to. Uh, and that's kind of, the, that might sound like an odd illustration, but that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. The gift of courtesy, and another way of putting that is, is being considerate of others. Scripture tells us we're to be kind and considerate of one another. And I'm convinced, several years ago, we were still in New York, I just became really convinced, and I still am, and it's not different from New York to Texas on this, even just using the word considerate has gone out of vogue, hasn't it? Not just being considerate, even talking about it, even expecting it, has in many ways just become a habit of it's not going to happen. You know, we, we just don't do it. Still here, there are a lot of people that will open the door, hold the door for you, small things like that. But then the same person will run over your children and your firstborn dog in the same parking lot on the way back out. Consideration and thinking beyond ourselves is just not encouraged at this point in our culture to the point that we don't even... I mean, the word is going to be one of those things in the dictionary after a while. It's going to say... What's the word? Not defunct, but it's that idea. Obsolete. That's the word I'm looking for. It'll say this is an obsolete old word from the Middle English, you know, or whatever. My big fat Greek wedding, they'll go back to the Greek origin of the word. But, you know, there's, there's all of that that we just don't think about. We just don't do as much as we could. And Jesus would say as much as we... Should So the habit we're going to look at this morning is this, giving the gift of courtesy. And I want to start here in Philippians chapter 2 where we were earlier. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's three things we're going to look at this morning. This is the first, and it's just kind of the core of it. When you start looking at being kind and courteous and gracious, the first challenge, the biggest challenge, is always going to be selfishness and a selfish focus. And part of the fruit of the Spirit, part of the work of God in our life, is to take that focus away from always being on ourselves. That's hard to do because it's not always... Well, how do I want to say that? When we hear the word selfish, I think we tend to run to the kind of person who really and truly is just an absolutely self-centered, self-focused, incredibly selfish, maybe even narcissistic person where everything is about me, 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 I, 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 I. And so when we label selfishness that way, we then are able to say that's not me, that's them. That guy, that lady, she is so selfish And so then we start thinking about, you know, but at least I'm not. But the problem with selfishness is that it has, I don't think there's anything else in Scripture that's listed as, you've got to get rid of this, that is as universal as selfishness. Okay? Not everybody has a problem with honesty as much as other people have problems with honesty. Okay? There are people who are just kind of intrinsically, almost to a fault sometimes, Honest, if you can have such a thing. Uh, you can. They can be so blunt. They're so frankly honest. There's a difference there, right? But, but they don't struggle with lying. They may not struggle with stealing. You know, a lot of people, uh, once they've stolen their candy bar as a kid and taken out to the woodshed, they never steal again. Other people never stop. You know, it, but that's different. Some people struggle with it. Some people don't. Addiction, some people struggle with it. Some people don't. Uh, It's just those things aren't necessarily universal. But selfishness is. I think part of the reason for that is that ultimately selfishness is the root of every possible sin. Think about it. Every single one is rooted in selfishness. The one who struggles with lying is being selfish. Because what they're generally doing is trying to cover their own tail and keep themselves out of trouble and avoid consequences because they're selfish and they don't want to deal with their own issues. So they lie and try to cover up. It never really works. Ultimately, that all unravels and people see through, but people still try. But at the root of it is selfishness. Greed, obviously, the root of greed is selfishness. Arrogance, the root of that is selfishness. Stealing, same thing. You just go down the list. Adultery, all those things. Ultimately, at the end, it's, it's a time where we have thought of ourselves, but not of others. Every single one. And so it's, it's something that all of us at some point struggle with. And we struggle with it in different ways. But I want to say we will quickly run to the extremes versions of selfishness and say, well, at least I'm not like that. You know, I'm not stepping on everybody to get ahead at my job. I'm not lying about everything. I'm not stealing. I'm not this. And so we'll say, I don't, I don't deal with that. I think this is one of those things where we actually struggle with it more in the small ways. Then it has a big impact more than we realize. And it's, it's almost like grains of sand rather than boulders. It still builds up and it still does damage. You know, one raindrop, maybe not a big deal, but ask Houston what rain adds up to this morning. You know, one drop at a time, it still matters and it still destroys. And selfishness can be the same way. And I think a lot of times, this is my personal experience, a lot of times 
you're not really trying to be. You're not thinking about it. We're not purposely setting out to say it's me over you. Part of it is our busyness. Busyness, a lot of the time, and might as well, picking up your toes won't help because we'll just put them back down and stomp on them anyway. The, the, the problem with busyness is that often it is actually rooted more in selfishness than it is service. And we don't want to hear that because we don't want to believe that because we don't want anybody criticizing our busyness. But the truth is, it's something, it's usually rooted in there's something I want, there's an attention I want to get, there's a reward, an award, and all these things that I must attain, or I want to get ahead, or I want to own, or I want to have a title, or I want to have a label, or I want to... And it's so easy when that becomes the root of all of our busyness for our lives unintentionally. Okay, Again, not starting out with evil, not starting out like you said, I'm going to just run roughshod over everybody. Just the next thing we know, every selfless act that God puts in our path, we say no to because we're just too busy. What were we busy with? I wanted, I needed, I wanted, I needed, I wanted, I needed without any consideration of, am I so busy that I'm not able to be used by God? And I think we struggle more with that than we do just outright greed and outright trying to trample over other people. And we struggle with this. It can also just be unintentional. It may not even be that big. Again, sometimes it's grains of sand. Uh, you're, you're busy in the morning. This happens to me all the time. You get busy in the morning. If, if you see me at Walmart and I didn't say hello, I wasn't trying to be inconsiderate. This is a confession, not an excuse. I wasn't trying to be inconsiderate. Here's what happens. And I don't know that I did this because I, had, I don't know. <laughs> but if I did, here's what happens. When I go into Walmart, you know what my selfish thought is? I want out of Walmart. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. And so, so my only thought is... Where is that? Let's get that. Let's go. Now, my wife will disagree. She'll say, yeah, but you still have to go through the whole store. The problem is you need things like in the whole store. I took a pedometer one time to Walmart. I found out my average trip to Walmart is a mile and a half that I walk inside the store. That's why we're all trying to park so close. We done got worn out inside. But the and then we're and then we're what we're like to get those parking spots, aren't we? You ever seen it's it gets nasty and ugly out there, but that's because you know what's on our mind. I got to get out of this place on Sundays after church and after lunch. Sometimes I'll think, you know, we need to get stuff. Maybe we're going to make whatever we're going to make it small group. I think we'll just run into Walmart. There is no we'll just run into Walmart on a Sunday afternoon. Well, you know why? Because all of y'all are there and I'm getting out and it's not personal, but I'm getting out. But. I cannot tell you how many times I've driven. You would think I would learn. I've driven into the parking lot, driven around it three times looking for a spot at all on a Sunday afternoon. Been killed nearly three times, you know. And, and so then I leave the parking lot going, I've got to get out of here. These people are nuts. And I don't even go in. You know, the parking lot was enough. And maybe that's some of me. I just want in and out. And maybe that's some of them because they just want in and out. And then we just kind of run over each other. Because our focus is only on what we need, what we want, and our schedule, and our stuff. And it's not necessarily intentional. It's not like evil people running around. But when you add all those grains of sand up, all those acts within a day, you cut somebody off here, you, you ignore somebody there, you say no to a real genuine need that was more important 
here. And, and just over and over again, they, start, they add up to a life that's not the habit of a loving heart. Maybe the habit of a busy heart. Maybe the habit of a selfish heart. But it's not the habit of a loving heart. And love demands that at some point we stop in what we're doing and say, okay, I know I'm busy, I know I've got all of this and everything else, but what am I missing that could have been Jesus' stuff that I needed to do? Who am I missing that I could have blessed if I wasn't so busy? Now, Benny's going to laugh at me because he told me two times just this morning, this morning, to slow down because I was. I was through it in and through out of here because I was behind. I thought I was ahead and I got here and there were things I didn't know about I needed to do. And so then I was behind. And, you know, that's how it works, right? It's not intentional, but it's still real, isn't it? And so, mm, devil at work in all kinds of ways, isn't he? So I want to look at first this passage. One through four that we just read. There's three things here he says. It's just coincidental. I didn't go for three things. It's just what Paul did. It's Paul's fault. Okay. But he, he was being considerate and he knew that someday we would like three points. So there's three things here. The first one is this one. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. So if we want to develop the habit of a heart that loves other people, then one of the first antidotes that we need, one of the first things that fixes it, the cure... Is here. Look at why you do what you do. We don't always like to stop and look at why we do what we do. We're not even always sure of why we do what we do. Sometimes we need to ask the Lord, Lord, why in the world am I doing this? He knows. He's got it. We may not get it. But ask ourselves, you know, why? Is this just about me? Has this just become something that I'm being selfish about? Or, or you know, am I right here? Am I wrong here? You know, you got a conflict and somebody's saying, hey, you shouldn't have done that. We owe it to each other to stop and ask, you know, well, are they right? Is that legitimate? You know, do I need to, to look at this? If we're ambitious, selfishly ambitious, if we are conceited, we're not going to stop and do that. But we need sometimes to stop and to do that. And he says, don't do anything from those motives. Motives matter. Instead, live a life that stops and looks around. And he'll get to that. So second, he says, in humility... Count others as more significant than yourselves. That's countercultural. This is not the way the world works, any part of it, naturally. Because we live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world where Satan has worked on us so much and convinced us so much that we really are the one that matters most. And we even have, have fooled ourselves into thinking that the cure to our relationships is to put ourselves first. And you can read all kinds of self-help books that will tell you, you know, the only way that you're ever going to get any better is to just love yourself first all the time. Well, there is a healthy God view of ourselves that we need to have. There is, we do need to see ourselves through the lens of grace, through the lens of God's love. And, and so it's not that we should look down on ourselves. That's not what humility is. Humility isn't looking down on yourself. It's understanding that God is greater, God is more loving, God is more kind. We're not going to be able to outdo God in anything. Just kind of knowing, having a healthy view of oneself in the light of where, where we really are as humans. Here's who I am. Here are my flaws. Here are the strengths God's blessed me with. And by the grace of God, I'm still here and I'm saved and I get to... Enjoy this life in Christ with you. 
That's humility. So it's looking at other people and saying, and I think you are as loved. I think you are as valuable. I think you are as forgiven. I think grace is as much as you in you as it is in me. And whatever I would want to be forgiven of myself, I will always forgive you. You. That's humility. And he says that's, that's the cure. So that we're not self-focused and not putting other people down. If you have, and the only way you know how to build yourself up is to see yourself as better than someone else. There's two things going to happen. One, somebody's going to come along that's going to bust your image of yourself. They're going to poke your balloon, right, with a needle. And they're going to show you, you know what, you think you're all that, but you're not. That's just God at work. He's just trying to humble us. But the other thing is, you're going to leave a wake of people that you could have built up who instead were hurt because all you ever did was try to build yourself up through punishing them, hurting them, mocking them. And that flies in the face of what a loving heart is supposed to be or how to act. And some of you know what it's like to live in an environment like that. You've dealt with that. You had a family member or a co-worker, maybe even a spouse, or maybe you were that person and Jesus set you free from it and looking back, you're ashamed. But we all know what that's like to deal with. And it's harsh. So he says the cure to that is to have a healthy view of yourself and consider others as better. Treat them not just as you would have them treat you. You go to that bar that Jesus raised where he said, love one another as I have loved you. It's higher. It's a higher standard. More significant even than ourselves. So that, that starts to change who we are. And in verse 4 he says, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's, that's the real cure to busyness. The, when self, busyness becomes selfishness, we stop looking at wh- how can I serve, how can I help, how can I encourage, how can I build up. And so we don't look at other people's interests. We're only thinking, well, I've got this and I've got that. Right? Somebody says, you know, would you be able to help? No, I can't because I have. And we say that a whole lot, don't we? And we just keep saying no. And sometimes we're saying no to Jesus. Things He needed us to do. We become, unwittingly, I think, a lot of the time, the Pharisee and the priest who walked past the man who was dying on the road left there for the Samaritan to take care of instead. You know, they weren't necessarily religiously cocky. At least one of those guys may have just been too busy. And I kind of get that impression from what Jesus was saying. And so he says, take your eyeballs off and look around and see. What do other people need? What can I do in the kingdom of God? And how can I serve? Serving, you'll be surprised, is one of the joys in life. Serving is more fun than being served. Jesus said that. He said even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He was letting us in on a secret where real joy and where real peace comes from and real love. In that respect, courtesy becomes a way of of showing grace through our actions. It's, It's how it actually fleshes itself out. And so grace then becomes, how do I treat people all the time? Not just forgiveness, not just salvation, but grace in the sense of graciousness where you bless somebody whether they deserve it or not. 
That's grace, right? You're blessing somebody whether they deserve it or not. So let's look at this. Uh, this first sentence, this is the NIV because I wanted this exact wording of verse 9. Um, it's easy for us to think about courtesy, before we read this, uh, as just doing nice things, holding doors, giving people a donut, whatever. That might be a part of it. But Paul reminds the Christians here that it's got to be real. Okay, It can't be faked. People see through that. And it can't be warped. Satan does this all the time. It can't be warped into a, uh, we think we're being courteous, we think we're being gracious, but really all we're doing is being selfish and using it as a means to an end. That's the person who's only gracious and is only courteous when they think they can get something out of you. We see through that stuff, right? There, you know, every time I need to make a reference to this type of personality, I can't because I have not yet found a nice way to say this that, I, that even I'm not offended by. Uh, the, and there's a personality, what do you call that? I guess the nicest way, because there are no nice ways, the nicest way to say it is when somebody is just a kiss-up or a bootlicker, you know? You know what I'm saying, but there's no nice way. So, you know, if, if, if you just translated that something not nice, you can repent. We'll have a song. You can come down here. That's fine. But the, there, there's no nice way because it's not, it's just not a nice person to be. Okay? And, and those people don't necessarily see it in themselves sometimes, but we can tell when it's genuine and when it's sincere. For one, well, I think this is the number one test, and we'll just cut through all the rest. The number one test is a genuine person will show grace when they have nothing to gain. That's why Jesus said, you know, I want you to be better than the Pharisees. The Pharisees were in it for what they could gain. Will it help my status? Will it make me look more religious than you? Will it help me to be holier than thou? They had an, a, a, a goal to attain. He said, so I don't want you to just have people in your home that have already had you in their home. He says the world does that, the Gentiles do that, the Pharisees do that. They just have each other over so that hopefully the other person will have them over later and they can be the honored guest. So it's not like you even had anybody in your house because you actually cared about them, wanted to feed them, wanted to get to know them better. You only had them there so you could either show off or get an invitation yourself later on. Social climbers, right? The, the whole thing, I have never once seen where people come up and do the kiss on the two-cheek thing like they do a lot of times in New York. People think they did that in Russia. And only politicians do that in Russia, which should tell you something, okay? But real people didn't do it. But you see people do that, and they're like, oh, I, that always is so fake because it's always about social climbing and ladder climbing and making an impression. Real loving hearts don't worry about that stuff. When they are greeting you and when they are loving on you and when they are hugging you, it's about them. The person they're greeting, the person they're hugging, the person they're caring for. And there's just a difference and we can see through all that stuff. So he says this, love first, it's got to be sincere, it's got to be genuine, it's got to be real. Hate what's evil, cling to what's good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Uh, this is all from Romans chapter 12. And here Paul writes this, and it's, it's absolutely the perfect cure for all this stuff. It's like, a, it's like a 
top ten things that you ought to do if you want to develop a really loving heart. So be sincere, hate what's evil, cling to what's good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be a servant. Be an excited servant. You know why we get whiny? You know why we start to go, ah, it's such hard work, I don't want to do it anymore. You know why? Selfishness. Every time. There's times we get genuinely tired. There's times we need to recharge. I'm not talking about that. But most of the time, it's selfishness. And, and when you dig really deep, they're like, well, I just didn't like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, you know what didn't like is? Didn't like is never looking at the interests of others, is it? Somebody said, well, I didn't like that song. That song was too new. That song was too fast. That song was too this, too that. You know who you're thinking of? It ain't Jesus. Jesus liked the song. Some of your brothers and sisters were encouraged by the song. Same thing for the ones that were too slow. I'm not talking about this morning, Carly. I'm talking about some other day, some other church, some other time. But you know how it is. People always, you know, we come to church sometimes like we're, we're here to grade it. We're not here to grade it. We're here to serve one another and serve the Lord. To build one another up. To get the focus off of ourselves that the world tried to to repoint into ourselves all week long. It's a place where we lay ourselves down and forget ourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Be a servant. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Well, that's tough, isn't it? You're going through a hard time. Patience is hard. If patience were easy, we wouldn't be commanded to have it. We'd just be talking around, sitting around going, isn't patience great? Nobody does that. But impatience ain't great. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know why we don't practice hospitality anymore? Having people in our homes? Go back to the first slide. Right? It's selfishness. Oh, then I'd have to clean. Then I'd have to straighten. Then I'd have to prune. Then I'd have to... And it's all just stuff we don't want to do. I mean, that's just the truth. We can make excuses. That's just the truth. And if we say time, well, why didn't you have time? Well, go back to the first slide. Root of most busyness is... Mm-hmm. So we don't do it. Bless those who persecute you, even if that's the preacher making going back to the first slide. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Do you see how all three of those things were just get your focus off of yourself and look at how you encourage somebody else? Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, okay, Paul knows reality. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. I love that verse because it's Paul saying, I get it, some people are cranky. Okay? But as much as you can, make sure that it's not your part. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Let him take care of stuff. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I'll repay. It's just God saying, I'll take care of it. You don't have to. You don't worry about that. You go find somebody to love, I'll find somebody to thump. It's a great system. And this is what God says. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head. And I know that sometimes that's read like, I'm going to burn him. That's not what he means. 
means maybe it'll sear his conscience or, or cleanse his conscience to the point that he will say, I've not been acting right because they're loving me in spite of myself. Maybe that'll crack through that person's selfishness. But the only way you can crack through somebody else's is to deal with your own first. So we, we've got to deal with our you know, own log and spec. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I wonder sometimes if we believe that's possible. If we really trust the gospel enough and the God behind it enough to believe that it's possible, that, e- that good really can overcome evil. Our world wants to tell us no. That's just a bunch of goody-goody nonsense. But it works. We've seen it work. We've seen people whose lives completely changed because of kindness. There was a picture, you know, with all the stuff going on in Charlottesville and all of that. You see all different kinds of coverage. There was a picture that came out. Uh, it, was, it was an old picture from a civil rights era event. I forget where it was. Uh, but there was a police officer, an African-American police officer who was standing there with like a three-year-old white kid in a KKK uniform. And the kid isn't old enough to understand the hatred that all that represents. You know, hatred is taught and learned. It is. It's a work of the devil, so it's something that has to come after our creation. It's taught and learned. This kid hadn't actually learned it yet. So he's up there fiddling with the shield and, and, and doing all this stuff. He doesn't, he doesn't see anything wrong with this officer like his parents did. Well, his mama scooped him up later after the picture was snapped. And a powerful photo because it's just a great reminder Kids don't have our problems until we make them have our problems. Hey, selfishness is learned. Hatred is learned. All those things are learned and encouraged and taught. And we just don't have to do that in the kingdom of God. Instead, we're going to overcome evil like that with good. By the way, the officer was also being kind back to the kid at a rally where he's being hated on. He's being kind to the child of one of those people, which says, what about his character? Pretty cool. And that stuff happens all the time. It doesn't make the news so much uh, as it ought to. But kindness like that happens. Grace like that happens. When we take our focus off of ourselves. It'd be easy in a circumstance, circumstance like that to really just be offended and just be angry. But a loving heart can see this kid's not the problem. There's another problem, but this kid isn't it. And is able to love in spite of what's going on around it. And that brings us to this last thing. We need to understand none of this is just being nice for niceness' sake. Uh, we, can, we can be nice till the cows come home. It doesn't save anybody. We have, do have an eternal purpose. We want this kindness to break into people's hearts so that there is created then an opportunity for us to share why we're kind, why we're gracious, why we're courteous. So that we will point, not be selfish, but point it back to the one who actually creates it. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. I wasn't like this. We can tell him. We weren't like this before Jesus. This is his work. And I don't get any credit. To God be the glory. And let me tell you, he can change your life too. And he will. That's not just a saying. That's the truth. He can and he will. One last passage here, Philippians 2, jumping down to verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That is a tough one, isn't it? Most violated commandment in all of Scripture, I'm convinced. 
Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The eternal purpose is, this is how we become the city on a hill. We become the light of the world when we are a people who aren't self-focused, but when we actually are focused on Christ and on the needs of those around us and how we can honor God and love our neighbor. That's how we become light in a dark place. He says, if you just put aside this one thing, grumbling and fighting, these two things, grumbling and fighting, you put those away, that alone, you stand out like the stars in the universe, among whom you will shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. That phrase, holding fast the word of life, is the eternal purpose. It's not just the idea that I hold on to the gospel and hold on to the hope for myself. We can make salvation selfish if we're not careful. It's the idea that I will hold forth in the way that I live, in the way that I treat people, the gospel of Christ. And I will be able to hold on to that hope and others will be able to grasp it because they've seen it work. They've seen it change a person and seen it transform. And they now know that it's real. That's what he calls us to. Let's pray together.